When I look at a picture of planet Earth taken from space, I don't see a big blue marble or a giant multicolored beach ball. I see a giant pizza with blue cheese and garlic cream sauce, and all the living creatures are trying to get their slice of the pie. I'm Steve Fisher, and this is Life Slices. Racism comes in many different forms. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's overt, sometimes it's violent, and sometimes it's harmless, but it's definitely here. It's something that I think we're all guilty of, and we just have to make sure that we deal with our own personal racism in the right way. Filmmaker-actor Jordan Peele said that Pastor Ron Buford has found a way for everyone to deal with their own personal racism, and he's my guest on Life Slices. So we're here today with Pastor Ron Buford, who's the founder of Racists Anonymous and a reverend of Sunnyvale Congregational Community United Church of Christ in Sunnyvale, California. I'm going to start you with, I hope, a question that will help you get to something deep and mysterious. Who is Pastor Ron Buford? (laughs) He's neither deep nor mysterious. I am a person who grew up in a religious home and have always been interested in ministry. And and somewhere in my 20s, I discovering that I was gay, I ended up leaving the church of my upbringing and joining the United Church of Christ that had ordained openly gay people since 1973. So it was an interesting turn, and I joined the United Church of Christ, became interested in letting more people know about us. I I helped uh, lead the commercial that we did some years ago that the networks banned, so that became my claim to fame. And I've continued to do some marketing work in the church, and and accepted a call to ministry. Now, what is Racist Anonymous? Racist Anonymous is an organization we founded after I went to London for a while. And while I was there, I noticed that certain things weren't happening to me that were happening in America. It was almost like I was on a race vacation. And so I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And maybe the people in London are more advanced than the people in the States. But I kept watching and I noticed that even though I was on a race vacation, there were people around me who weren't. There were people from the Caribbean, people from the African continent who were being discriminated against. And the thing that stood out to me the most, and this predates Brexit, uh, people from Eastern Europe were being mistreated, I thought. And it was interesting to observe that And also, whenever I encountered any racism, it was from them. I thought about, you know, the fact that in traveling, that racism is just about everywhere. When I came back to my church or to Northern California, where I began pastoring, there was a popular AA meeting every day at noon. And I sort of listened in because my office is right next door to their meeting room. And I thought, I wonder if... Racism is kind of like addiction. And so that's how we got to Racist Anonymous. Now, for this program, I I get feeling, and I, I get the feeling because I've read, that it there's a broader definition to racism as far as Racist Anonymous goes. Can you describe that? 
Well, yeah, and it, and it launches from this idea, uh, this sort of sort of the intersectionality of being black and being gay and being in a progressive denomination of faith. That the question arose for me: How is it that we can be so standing for rights for African American people in our community, or standing for the rights of gay people in that community, and for example, in those two communities, you have gay people who are racist and you have black people who are anti-gay and and they don't see the contradiction in that. And all over the world, it's like that. You know, we all have our group that we want to advocate for that they should not be discriminated against. And yet we discriminate. And I began to wonder if it was something more like an anthropological holdover from the days that we was beneficial for us to, based on external difference, to discriminate against people. I say that if we really wanna eliminate all these isms, we really need to go higher, to a higher level and change the way we think about how it is we view people and how we make quick decisions about them. That's how we got to Racist Anonymous. See, that, that's something I was actually discussing this with my daughter the other night. And I, I said, this is going to be interesting. I said, because I don't, I don't consider myself racist in the classical sense of being racist against another race, a, a biological race. But in talking to her, I said, what I do do and will admit to is I judge people based on their station in life. And that goes as far as if they're middle class like I am, then they're fine. Regardless of race, color, creed, religion, anything else, sexuality. But if they seem to be of a lower station or a higher station, then I'm wary of them. Well, yeah. And and we do that unconsciously all day long. Uh, there was a study some years ago about uh, how long it took people to get out of a parking space while somebody else is wa- waiting. And in that study, it showed that the nicer the car is that's waiting, the faster people get out of the parking space. I mean, we look, we make those judgments without thinking about it. So it is an unconscious thing. It is both, I believe. I think it's both conscious and unconscious, but there isn't unconscious element to it that we seem predisposed toward. How did you liken it or create this group to kind of mirror Alcoholics Anonymous? Like I said, when we, I was listening to the meeting through the wall because they had 50 to 80 people in the room next door. And during that hour, it usually starts at noon, five days a week, I was in the meeting. So I may be thick-skulled, but if I hear it enough, <laughs> some of it's got to stick. And and as it was going through the 12 steps and and so forth, you know, the first three steps, are, first of all, you have to acknowledge that you have a problem, which most of us in America don't do when it comes to racism. Everybody else is racist but us. Donald Trump said he's the least racist person in America. How can this be? And I don't think he was trying to 
lie or pull a fast one on us. I think he genuinely believes that. The, the second thing is once you realize you've got this problem, you have to realize that you don't have the power to manage it. And thirdly, that you have to turn that problem over to a higher power to help you manage that problem. Those three steps, for example, just the first three, really sum up so much of what needs to happen in our attitude toward racism. And the, the, so much of the other part of racist uh, Alcoholics Anonymous that was helpful for us was how to go about such a meeting with no crosstalk, with people addressing the issue of racism, not from somebody else's perspective, but from their own, was just so helpful with racism. Because, you know, these topics always devolve into, well, I don't know, I think this. Well, uh, I go to a racist anonymous meeting to deal with my own racism. And everybody who comes to that meeting should come in the same way. It reminds me of what my sainted mother used to say about church, because she said people complain about church. And she'd say, she says, honey, you know how to find Jesus in church? She said, it's to bring him with you. (laughs) (laughs) When you say you're a racist. Absolutely. Define that. Why? How do you consider yourself a racist? What do you do that is racist in nature? Well, first of all, like I said, we define racism as attention to any exterior difference that causes you to treat another person negatively. I find, for example, uh, I moved out here to Sunnyvale, California, where it's a community with more Asians. Uh, In fact, it's 51% Asian in the community I live in. Uh, One of the things I confessed to the group and I noticed was that I had in my mind this thing about Asian drivers being bad drivers. So sometimes I'm on my way to church and I've got my collar on and so forth. But, you know, I'm I'm an expressive driver. <laughs> uh, somebody does something that's strange or out of character, uh, I'm ready to give them that one-finger congregational wave. And then I remember I've got my collar on. I think, oh, my goodness, I've got my collar on. I can't do that. <laughs> I had a friend who used to say, she said, I wear my collar to keep me from sinning and cussing. So I'm not quite that bad, but but it does help. So anyway, I noticed that, for example. I said, you know, this whole thing with Asian drivers around Buford, what is that about if it's not about racism? And there are all kinds of things. I mean, for us, attention to external difference includes gender issues. How, how do we feel about transgender people? How do we feel about uh, people who are flaming homosexuals uh, who are, you know, how do we feel about you know, dikey people? How do we feel about fat people? You know, people who've got these issues and they they don't really want to lose weight, but they're tired of their friends talking about them. So, you know, all these things are external differences. And the truth is, it's not trivial because when somebody like me is sitting in a position, I'm going to hire someone unconsciously. Studies show that I'm likely to heed my standards toward judging others in ways that will impact who I hire. And that in turn impacts how well those people live. So we must start with ourselves. So it's interesting you brought up the hiring thing. First of all, I have to tell you, when you were telling the story about your driving, I was thinking, gee, 
Is it easier for a pastor to have a come to Jesus moment than everybody else? Well, no, I, I think anybody, and this is why we do the meetings. I think anybody who goes to a meeting regularly that brings these things more top of mind on a regular basis is more likely to recognize it. So after you have a meeting and you go and you leave me and you say, I don't know if I'm a racist or not. And then you listen to your self-talk. You listen to the, all the things you say that following week after you have left that conversation with somebody insisting you're not a racist. You say, well, hell, I am a racist. What actually goes on in these meetings? And, and when you say a 12-step program, are there actually 12 steps in your program? So what do people expect when they come to it? And, and do you often have people, when you see, uh, I've, ne- I've never been to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting other than through a television show, and you always see some character being brought to a meeting and they won't get up and say anything. And it takes several meetings and all of a sudden, sometime later in the show, they, or maybe even in the final scene, they show up and they go, my name is so-and-so and I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, that's right. And, 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 and this is very similar in some ways in that usually when the group starts, I'd say half the people are comfortable saying they're a racist and half the, the people think that is just, you know, I just can't say that, that I'm a racist. I mean, I can say I've got issues, I've got weaknesses, but they won't say that. It's about half and half. And then over time, that balance shifts and people recognize that it's a challenge. Now, I want to say very quickly that we understand that the word racist is troubling. People might say, I've got biases, I've got prejudices, but they don't want to say they're a racist. And the reason we go all the way there is because we think that until a person is willing to get out of the denial about their racism enough and genuinely sorry for it, because it's kind of like, you know, you don't want to have a little bit of COVID-19. You, you want it all out of you. So why is it okay for you to be, well, just a not so bad racist? I'm just a mild racist. You know, racist anonymous, or at least the concept for me, is built on the idea, theologically anyway, even though it's not a religious program, you don't have to believe in God to be, be a part of a 12-step program. But for me, I believe that creation was never finished and that Atheists and agnostics say to me, if there's a God, why do I, why was this, why is there still sickness and death, and why was the kid die of cancer? And I say, it's because creation was never finished. We are God's helpers in creation, and our job is to finish it. And when our job is done, there won't be cancer and sickness and death. There won't be racism in this way. So part of our goal in this program is to recognize those areas where we can improve, not because we're awful, because we're fabulous, but we can be even better and we can be more productive in the world. Do you see a particular pattern in the people who show up at your meetings or a particular demographic? Well, yeah, lately um, there's been a change that in that I think we have recently gotten more people who are already engaged in some 12-step program or another. 
And so they already go to Overeaters Anonymous or Alcoholics Anonymous or, and, and this isn't rocket science. So somebody says, oh, you know, I've thought about that, that there ought to be a racist anonymous. Yeah, well, here it is. So when you started this, have you heard from any other people who have started similar groups? I have. Uh, for example, there's uh, there are groups in there are a couple of groups in Canada. There's one in Seattle, and it's one of those things where uh, I had a rabbi friend who said to me, he said, if there are three Jews in town, you have to have two synagogues, one that you wouldn't be caught dead in, one that I would be wouldn't be caught dead in, and one neither one of us would be caught dead. In. <laughs> People have these ideas, and so you know. But I want it to be this way, and I want it. And they say, "Okay, good, cool. Start your own group." How many chapters of of Racists Anonymous are there? I'm uh, I'm guessing right now, but I think they're twenty some probably. Five years from now, it's two hundred. Are they all over the country, or how far do they reach? They're all over the country. In uh, like, for example, race. One of the things that's happened to us that's been a benefit. Something that started out, I thought was awful. I thought, oh, what are we going to do now that we can't meet? Zoom. And the beauty of Zoom is, like at the last meeting, there was somebody there from Kentucky. There was somebody there from New York. There was somebody there, people there from California. There were people, there was somebody there from Chicago. And so, you know, you get this, this nice meeting going where people bring these various influences together. The other thing about Racist Anonymous or the 12-step programs is that there's no crosstalk, meaning when you come and you say something about, well, I really have a problem with this, that, and the other. What typically happens is, in most groups, is somebody else will respond to that and say, I know how Sally feels, blah, blah, blah. We don't do that. You know, we don't critique what the other person has said or give advice or anything like that. It's, a, it's, it's an interesting way of, of meeting. And it helps us solve one of the key problems in discussions about racism is that people get defensive. And so we, we don't want that. How long has this been in existence? I think five years. Can you tell us of changes you've seen in people from the time they start the group to the time, when do they decide to leave? I mean, is it just, hey, we got, we did our 12 steps, we can go, go now. Well, as with AA, once you realize that you're racist and you realize why, you know you'll never not be a racist. You're then committed to overcoming racism in yourself and, and everybody else and helping people see that if they want to. If somebody wants to join, what do they do? Well, first of all, the best thing to do is to go to rainternational.org. And the whole program is laid out there. Not only do people come to rainternational.org to learn about the program, but they learn about the fact that we have an introductory meeting every Thursday at five o'clock. And that meeting, we walk through the program in an hour because RA meetings begin and end on time. We don't want people to spend all night. One hour is what, what we commit to. 
uh, during that time, they experience the actual program, participate in it, and go through our litany or our, our order. The other thing is, and one of the people who comes as a guest actually leads the meeting. So they get to see how easy it is to do. And at that first meeting, we asked people to tell us a story about, or well, two stories. One about the first time they encountered racism. And the second story is about the first time they saw their parents do or say something racist. It's, it's interesting what we hear. And so every Thursday, I get to hear these wonderful stories about, and in some ways, what that does it, is it overcomes the racism barrier a bit because people who came thinking, well, I'm not a racist. Well, <laughs> after they tell their stories, you know, speak into this microphone. <laughs> so you don't lead every meeting. No, and that's one of the beauties of this program, that it runs itself almost because it's centered around the people who come. Is admitting you are a racist half the solution? Yes, if you really believe it, which I didn't when I started the group. I thought it was a neat concept, but there, there's an, an African-American spiritual that says, everybody talking about heaven ain't going there. The same is true with the work of racism. It's one thing to believe the concepts. It's another thing entirely to walk the walk. Well, it's like like we always say, you know, with, we, with evangelical uh, Christianity and some of the far-right quote-unquote Christians in this country who say and do things totally unchristian. And it's like, well, how do you, how do you resolve that? You know how do you, how do you come to terms with the fact that what you are spewing is not in line with what you say you believe? Well, it it, it helps when you start with a a shorter list than God's dramatically of what sin, and if you can convince yourself that the list of sins doesn't include any of the stuff you do, then then you know you're all right. So. Uh, but, you know, I belong to a tradition where every week I go in and I confess that I'm a sinner. And the same is same as Racist Anonymous. I, I mean, I go in and say, I'm a sinner, you know, and so help me out. And as long as people can come to to God and to church like that, I believe that God helps us out. So the people in the group are people who are there because they want help with the problem they con consider themselves to have. Those are not necessarily the people that are the problem. Well, they are and they aren't. You, you see, because they think they're not the problem. But if you were to put all those people in an organization and they had to run it, and they want an organization that was not racist, not sexist, and so on, it would still be just the same because those characteristics are in us. When I've worked for the church, it hasn't been as much as they try, really try hard. And you know, some of the best people I know, but they still fail at racism and sexism and all these things, not because they're worse than anybody else, but we're in denial about the fact that these are traits that are in us. 
I have to ask, as we record this, it's a day after the verdict in the George Floyd killing trial uh, of, of Officer Chauvin. It seems to me, I've, I've been around a long time. I remember the the civil rights marches in the 60s and, and all that. And, and it seems that with the killing of George Floyd, more people that are not black have come forward realizing there's too much injustice in this country and things have to change. Have you seen that in your groups? Have, has that incident created more people coming forward and going, I'm a racist? Yeah, it has. But we, people get moved at times like this when certain events happen. And one of the first things people want to do is they want to do something. But not many people say, I want to be a witness to something greater. It's always in the same way that I'm not a racist. It's not my part. I can't, I can't do anything. Yes, you can. That each one of us by, I mean, for example, people say, oh, it's awful the way George Floyd was treated and the way the police acted and so forth. And I say, yeah, yeah, but you wouldn't call yourself a segregationist yet. When's the last time you had a person of color over for dinner? Well, you know, if, if, if you won't do it, why should you make the government do it? That's a good point. I've often thought about that in wanting to be the liberal that I consider myself to be is why don't I have more friends of color? Yeah. And a lot of that is just I haven't made their acquaintance. I did. I, I have from time to time. And people, I, a lot of white people have gone in and out of my life. And so that just happens. And people don't always stick around. Well, it's true. But when you realize you're a racist and you want to do something about it <laughs> and you've made up your mind that that's what's going to happen. And you think about every week, you decide to invite some people of color over for dinner. <laughs> I, I I just think it might be a little awkward if you go out on the street and walk up to a person of a different race than you and say, hi, want to come over to dinner? I think they're going to look at you a little awkwardly. You're right. But I remember being at a, a gathering once and I said to a group, I said exactly what I said to you. And, and their first response was, well... I don't see any. I don't interact with people of color enough at a level that I could invite them to dinner. Um, he said, no, you know, my area's all white, blah, blah, blah. And I said, I say, you see them. They're just invisible to you. I tell you, I said, I want, let's play a little game. I said, they said, I don't see any. I said, this week, email me when you see a person of color. And I just got all kinds of emails. It's like, they said, oh, yeah, they're there. We just didn't see him. It's like Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man. Like one of my friends whose mother went to Africa. She uh, wrote home, sent back home a postcard, and she said, oh, Africa's lovely. She said, there's just so many Black people here. I'm guessing that the people who are ready and willing to join the program are only part of the solution. How do you reach all of those who say, I'm not racist, or I am, but it's not a problem? I like this question, especially this time of year, because we just had Easter. 
this particular year in the lectionary, there are different readings. And this particular reading was one in which it said the women went to the tomb that was empty. They wanted to know where Jesus was, of course. And the angel tells them what happened, that he was resurrected. And uh, they leave puzzled. And it's the Gospel of Mark, which was one of the first tellings of the resurrection. It said they were so afraid, they didn't tell anybody. And so quite often when we have the Mark reading for Easter, preachers use the other one. <laughs> because it can't be that they didn't tell anyone. The biggest way, I believe, that social change comes about is when people who believe whatever it is, are so convinced that they just can't keep it to themselves. That's the way change happens. That I don't believe that people intellectually change. They have to both intellectually, emotionally, and perhaps spiritually change toward becoming anti-racist in a society in which we so swim in racism that we can't tell ourselves from it. We are subsumed in racism. And we don't recognize it until we commit ourselves to being anti-racist in ourselves. And if you and I can be commit to being anti-racist in that way, we'll change the world. It takes time. Is there anything you would like to say about the program or yourself that I haven't asked about? No, I just want to say that um, it's a program that anybody can do with three or four friends, just commit themselves to a set period of time, say, we're going to do it for six weeks. And we're going to meet every week at lunchtime on a Thursday, and we're going to discuss this and see what happens to us. It'll make a difference. I think you're making a difference, Pastor Ron, and I hope you lead a lot of us to continue your work elsewhere. Well, bless you. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. And best of luck with uh, the rest of your work. Well, thank you, Steve. I look forward to following you, too. Thank you. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beatnik Ravens Productions, All Rights Reserved. Music courtesy of Fesleyan Studios. 